Hi, this is Mark, and thank you for joining me on Words of Truth today. I appreciate you coming along for the ride. Today, we're going to be talking about marriage, how to keep your marriage together. I, I guess it's a time of year when I should be doing a podcast on Christmas, the birth of Christ, the miracle of salvation. But, you know, I have a burden on my heart that I need to share. I'm burdened about marriages today. I've performed dozens of weddings in my ministry career, and in every single wedding, the couple, they they begin marriage by saying something to the tune of, for better, for worse, till death do us part. Or they'll talk about the other person they're marrying as their soulmate and how in love they are and how happy they are to marry that person. And then a few years later, all of a sudden, they aren't happy because they say their needs aren't being met or that their mate has too many issues to deal with and they just can't handle it. And then they break up. And I'm always left wondering, what happened to those vows of for better or for worse? What happened to the I'll love you forever promise? What do they think? They were marrying somebody who would never have problems. Did they think their mate would be the one to meet all of their needs? Did they marry this person with a condition that as soon as I'm not happy, I'm out of here? Well, here's my take on the whole thing. Conflict never destroys a marriage. Yep, you heard that right. Conflict never destroys a marriage. It's the refusal to deal with and resolve the conflict that unravels the marriage and sends it down in pieces. You see, you can't live with another person and not have disagreements. Did you know that? You can't live with another person who will never struggle with life issues. That's a fact. All of that is the result of being human, living in a sinful world. Two individuals like two great rivers coming together are bound to experience turbulence. It's just inevitable. Now, here's the problem when it comes to conflict resolution in marriage. Men and women don't approach conflict from the same vantage point. Did you know that? Men and women don't respond to conflict the same. That's right. Frankly, men don't understand women, and women, they don't understand men. And it's never more obvious than how we want to resolve conflict. For example, You know, a man can get mad and yell, which never resolves anything, by the way. And then they think they can just kiss and make up and everything is fine. Right, men? (laughs) But you women are saying, man alive, the last thing I want is a kiss until the issue is really resolved. You see, men and women don't think the same way. Now, let me share five hindrances to conflict resolution in marriage. Hopefully this is going to help somebody today. Five hindrances, things that you want to avoid in resolution of conflict. Number one is minimalization. A man will say, I don't understand why my wife is so upset that I want to go fishing with my friends this weekend. What's the big deal? But then he forgot that it was his wife's birthday. And when her sister's birthday rolls around, her husband throws a big party for her, but he goes, fishing. Okay, so he sends her flowers later, but they died. And after a few days, they smell bad, along with a memory of what he did or didn't do. You see, acknowledging that something is a problem to somebody else 
and not minimizing it is one of the keys to effective conflict resolution. Number two is rationalization. Rationalization refuses to accept blame for wrongdoing. It's like the spouse who goes out and spends more than the budget allows for something that really wasn't necessary. And then rationalizing the purchase by saying, why well, never buy anything for myself? Or I grew up with nothing and I deserve this. Or I worked hard for it. You see, they're refusing to be responsible for their debt problem. And they just shrug off the, the, the problem. They just shrug their shoulders. They dance around the issue. Listen, in order to live in harmony, couples need to face the full weight of their differences and accept responsibility when they make a bad decision. Number three is avoidance. Have you ever heard the statement, every time we get into a, into a discussion about this, it turns into an argument? <laughs> yeah, maybe you've used that line, right? So what you end up doing is just avoiding the topic altogether. And the issue just lays there smoldering under the surface like a big garbage dump. An unresolved conflict is like a baby. The more you nurse it, the bigger it gets. Confronting conflict is absolutely necessary to find forgiveness and healing. Number four is half-hearted apologies. Just saying sorry with that kind of a tone or well, I guess I shouldn't have done that. Well, that only adds the sting to an open wound. In fact, it's probably worse than not saying anything at all. But to say, you know what? I'm truly sorry for what I did, and I accept full responsibility for my failure. In fact, I've asked God to forgive me, and I hope you can forgive me as well, because I intend to do my best never to fail you like that again. Now, that's a completely different apology, isn't it? So let's avoid half-hearted apologies. Number five is expecting your spouse to meet all your needs. Now, this is a big one. People get married expecting uh, their knight in shining armor or their princess darling is always going to be there for them, always be a shoulder to lean on, always understand when they're having a bad day, never get angry or disagree or argue, and always treat them with kid gloves. Now, really? I mean, is it even reasonable to live with another sinful human being and expect, well, perfection? The reality is that we all marry broken, sin-filled people. None of us marry a person without history, without problems, with the ability uh, to always be on point, with no kinks in the armor. And as, and as soon as we resolve that fact in our minds, the sooner, sooner we'll stop depending on our spouse to meet all of our needs. In fact, there's only one who can meet all of our needs, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's why in Ephesians 5, it gives us the guidelines for marriage that it gives us. It says that husbands are to, quote, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a sacrificial kind of love that a husband offers because Christ has loved them in the same way. And it tells wives to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, I know a lot of wives are going to kick back when they hear that verse, maybe even turn me off right here, because they take it as becoming a servant 
to their husband, like a like a doormat. That's not what he's saying at all. The word submit is a military term uh, that 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 is kind of a guideline for for marriage. Uh, it's it's a military term that deals with rank and file. In other words, wives are called to subject themselves to their husbands as the head of the house. But let's never forget that Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, if a husband is loving his wife sacrificially, then she will feel safe and secure and she'll be willing to submit to his leadership in the home. Furthermore, the chapter never commands wives to love their husbands. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> Let that sink in for a minute. Yeah, have you ever wondered why? Well, think about it. It's because if the husband is loving the wife sacrificially as the Lord loves us, then God didn't need to tell the wife to love her husband because she'll just naturally love him. And to round everything out, as they're living a loving life together, they could now submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, thus leading to a balanced marriage in every way. Now, the spouses still aren't depending on the other one to be the one who meets all of their needs because they recognize that's an unhealthy way to live. But they become like a solvent in one another's life. God using one another to make each partner all that God wants them to be, well, scabs and all. Ultimately, we depend upon God to be everything to us, but we recognize that our spouse can play a part in that. Even when they don't act in the way that they should, it just drives us closer to God who meets all of our needs. And as we work through our conflicts together, God shapes us into his image. And so sometimes we're like sandpaper against one another, frankly. But sandpaper always smooths. I read about a minister who had rewritten the traditional wedding ceremony. Instead of, until death do us part, he wrote, as, you, as long as you both shall agree. And you know, the promise to love, honor, and cherish, as long as you both shall agree, probably won't last long enough to get you out of the parking lot of the place where you are married. And it certainly will not last through the honeymoon. Remember that conflict never destroys a marriage, but it's a refusal to resolve conflict that ultimately will destroy it. Marriage is a union of two independent and, by the way, imperfect people, all of which God knew when he gave us the model and blueprint for marriage. God is the designer and architect of the whole thing, and it's still his plan for a man and a woman to become one, uniting their hearts and lives in this imperfect but marvelous relationship we call marriage. I hope this helps. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in again next week.